And it's great to have you all with us this morning. As I mentioned earlier, today's a special Sunday in the life of our church. Today we are celebrating our Kenya team. We are sending off our Kenya team. A very exciting time. Um, by show of hands, how many of you have been on mission trips before? Maybe a domestic mission trip, international mission trip? That's, wow, I feel like that's most of this room. That's fantastic. Well, how about that? That's, that's wonderful. Surprising. That's a pleasant surprise. How about that? Good for you guys. That's great. Now, when you go on a mission trip, you are a missionary, right? Hey, you guys knew that too. When you go on a mission trip, you are a missionary. There are, there are different lists. Well, let me tell you something about me. I am not a missionary. I'm not a missionary. Have you met, like, a real missionary? Do you know any real missionaries, the ones that are doing it lifelong? They just have this certain quality, certain characteristics. Missionaries often have this, this desire to travel and go abroad. I do not have that desire. Yes, I get uncomfortable when I leave Delco. <laughs> missionaries also are, are really great with people. They have great people skills, and I'm not sure how I do with people skills. I'm probably like a B minus, C plus with people skills, right? I'm not sure who's grading your people skills, but that's where I rank. Missionaries are often extroverts, yeah? They can talk to people. They can talk to anyone, anywhere. That's, that's not me. I'm an intro, ooh, introvert. Yes, I'm stepping backwards because I'm an introvert. Missionaries like to travel. They have that adventurer spirit where they can go out and travel into tents and, and go to the bathroom in the forest or jungle or wherever it is. And uh, that is not me at all. I am not a missionary. And yet, I have been on six mission trips. And you might be wondering, Josh, if you're not a missionary, if you don't have those skills and those talents and that gifting, why have you gone on six mission trips? And that's an excellent query. I've wondered that myself at times. The first mission trip that I went on was all the way to Mississippi, and it was to uh, rebuild a home after Hurricane Katrina. Now, to give you some context, this was five years after Hurricane Katrina hit. Do you remember Hurricane Katrina? Yes? Five years afterwards, and people were still rebuilding their homes and piecing their lives back together. And so I went with a church group. We went down there, and I was assigned to a home. The homeowner was George. He was a great guy. He was a fisherman. We got to know him. Um, and so it was my job to work on rebuilding this guy's bathroom, replacing the toilet, laying down tile, putting tile up in the shower. I can't do any of those things, all right? I am not a plumber. I have never done tile work. I possess no practical life skills. I just don't. That's why I became a pastor, because I have no practical skills, yes? So here I am assigned to this house, assigned to this project, and fortunately, a couple guys that I was working with knew exactly what they were doing, and so the one guy would take the measurements, and he'd give me the measurements, and I'd run out to the guy cutting the tile just back and forth, because that's what I could do, yeah? And I think it was our first day there, and I had a moment to myself, which is rare when you're on a mission trip. It's really tough for us introverts. I need that moment to myself, and so I had a rare moment to myself sitting on this guy's porch in the Mississippi heat, eating the bag lunch that I had packed for myself earlier that day, eating my peanut butter sandwich on stale bread in my expired Nature's Valley bar. And I was wondering to myself, what am I doing here? <laughs> what am I doing here? Was this a mistake, signing up for this trip? 
I mean, I'm supposed to be working on this bathroom, and I don't know what I'm doing. Am I even being helpful? Was this, was this a good idea? Am I being any help at all? What am I doing here? Did you ever have a moment like that in your life where you wondered to yourself, oh, look, instant nods, yes? What am I doing here? Maybe something Christian-related or faith-related or Jesus-related. Maybe you signed up for a mission trip or you signed up for some kind of service project or maybe you signed up for the 4th of July and you're like, what am I doing here? Why am I cooking hot dogs? Why am I working the snack bar? Why am I doing this thing? Or maybe you've had that feeling and it has nothing to do with your faith. It has nothing to do with Jesus. You just got invited to a party. You think, you know, I'll go to this party and you get to the party and nobody's like you and you have no common interest. You say, what am I doing here? Or you go to an interview for a job, and you get to that place, and you realize, I don't have the skills for this job, and I don't know why I'm interviewing for this job. What am I doing here? You know what it's like to feel that way. What am I doing here? If you don't know what that feels like, you're like a black belt extrovert, and good for you, right? But the rest of us have had to struggle with that feeling of, what am I doing here? Later that week, the group that I was with, they had this tradition of when they go on these mission trips, they would go out to dinner, um, the second to the last night of the trip, and so we go out to dinner, and it was a great experience. We're at the seafood restaurant, and I had to, um, I had to have some conversation with the, the guy that was sitting next to me, and he was the leader of the trip, and he'd been leading these teams since Katrina happened, and he told me the whole story of, of what he's seen over the past five years since Hurricane Katrina happened, and initially, it was all in the news, and, and there was the Red Cross was there, and the government set money there, and, and FEMA was there, and they set up trailers there, and there was such a surge of initial support and then that support started to, to die off, and there was less happening there, and there was less money being sent there. And then FEMA just gave the trailers to the people and said, okay, uh, we're done. This is your problem now. And the government just walked away from all of these people. The government just walked away and left all these people still displaced. So he was telling me that story, and he was bemoaning the fact that our government left these people high and dry. And I responded back to, to that complaint, and I said, well, yeah, that's why we're here. You know, Jesus didn't create the government of the United States of America and say, okay, you guys go into this world, serve people, help people, love people, rebuild homes, take care of the poor. Jesus didn't do that. No, Jesus created us. He created the church. And he told us, his followers, to go into the world to help people, to give clothes to those who need clothes, to give water to those who need water, to give food to those who need food, to rebuild bathrooms. Okay, he didn't say that explicitly, but he told us to help and serve and love one another. That's why, that's why we're here. And so I found myself in this conversation with this guy, and it wasn't contentious. We, we just kind of disagreed, and then we landed on the same page. And as we're having this conversation, I realized that I had answered my own question, the question I asked of myself earlier, earlier that week, the question of, what am I doing here? And the answer is, I was doing what I could do. I was doing what I could do. Am I a plumber? No. Am I skilled at tile work? Absolutely not. But I'm doing what I can do. I'm doing what I can do to exercise obedience to my Lord, my Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's a fun fact about Jesus, and I missed this growing up in the church. Somehow I missed this as a kid, but when you become a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, Jesus becomes the Lord or the boss over your life. I mean, that's a title. We don't, we don't use the term Lord outside of, of a Christian setting, do we? Do we call anybody else the Lord of this or the Lord of that? I mean, not in this country anyway. 
But to have a Lord means to have a boss, and Jesus isn't our employer. He's not the boss over our work. He's the boss over all of our life. And for those of us who are Christians, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we have a boss, and it's Jesus. We have a life boss, and our life boss is Jesus. If you're not a Christian, if you're not sure where you stand on all this Jesus stuff, uh, first off, thank you for being here today. Um, You found the right place. This is a safe place. You have found your church home. But for those of you who are Christians, we know that Jesus is our Savior, and we should see him as Lord. And when a Lord, when the Lord tells you to do something, you don't have the option of saying no. When a Lord tells you to do something, you do it. And so I realized down there in Mississippi, even though I was an unskilled laborer, that's what it should say on my business card, by the way, unskilled laborer, I was just doing what I could do to exercise obedience to my Lord and to help other people. Several years later uh, in Kenya, I forget which trip this was, but I was in Kenya and we were working in Gitsuwamba. Gitsuwamba is a a camp for internally displaced people, an IDP camp. So there had been a war in Kenya in 2007, I believe it was, and a lot of people were displaced. And so the government gave all these people a plot of land and said, okay, you live here now and now you're all farmers. There you go. The government gave the families tents, and, and tent is probably the wrong word. It was really just like a tarp that you could kind of set up your own structure, your own tent, and, and that was it. And so over the years, the uh, organization that we work with, Start With One Kenya, had made an investment in Gitawamba and was rebuilding the homes. And it, that One of their goals was to make sure that every single person, every single family had an actual home structure. We might call it a hut, but a home, mud walls, and an actual roof, not just some tarp. And so over the years, those homes were built, and, and one of the projects that, that we had the privilege of being a part of was building a school there in Gitsuwamba, because you have all these people, you have all these homes, you have all these kids, they're going to need a school. And so what are the options? You, you load them up in a bus and you send them somewhere else? Well, that wasn't happening. And so we built a school. And it was amazing to see over the years this school be built. And so one of the years I was there in Kenya, and we're building a, like a dining hall for the school, and we had to lay a concrete pad. And so, again, that's some more work that I didn't know how to do. Um, but as an unskilled laborer, I don't know how to hold a shovel. I know which end is the digging end, you know what I mean? And so we were there on site, and we were digging stone into a, a wheelbarrow. In fact, I was working with Josh Peterkin at the time, I believe. And we were digging that stone, and we were getting these hardy scoops of stone, baby, these hardy, heavy scoops, and dumping them into the wheelbarrow. And as time went on, my, my scoops got a little more shallow, put in the wheelbarrow. And it's like three stones, Ugh, I'm tired of this, right? I mean, Josh is still going. He's a beast, right? I'm like, boop. Maybe no one will notice that I'm putting like three stones in. I'm tired, man. And I started to have that same feeling, that same question bubbling up in my heart. What am I doing here? What am I doing here? About that time, a, a motorcycle rolled up to the site. Dude hops off, off of his motorcycle, and he says, Pasta! pasta. And I said, no, thank you. I'm trying to watch my carb intake. I really don't want any pasta. No, that's not right. He was saying pasta. He was saying pastor, right? But he had a Swahili Kenyan accent. So he was saying pastor, pastor. I said, oh, yes, yes. And he told me his story. He said, his wife is sick. He said, my wife back home is very sick. Will you come to our home and pray for her? Now, everybody there speaks Swahili, and everybody speaks at least some English. But his English wasn't great, so I had a tough time understanding. And so Rufus, one of the drivers that works with, with SWAC, he was there, and he helped fill in the gaps. Like, oh, okay, his wife is sick. 
and he's asking me to leave this site and go and pray with her. And I was done shoveling stone anyway, so I said, yes, let's go do that. Now, for some reason in my mind, I assumed it was walking distance, even though this guy was on a motorcycle. I should have known better. So I said, okay, let's go. And so he jumps on his bike, and then Rufus jumps on behind him, and Rufus says, jump on. So I jump on behind him, right? <laughs> so there's three of us on this little motorcycle, and you get to know each other real quick when you're on a motorcycle together, yeah? And so we start taking off, and as we're leaving, Bill Coble, the, uh, the director of Start With One Kenny, shouts out to me, our insurance doesn't cover motorcycle accidents. <laughs> and so we're on our way, and we arrive at this home. Again, we might refer to it as a hut, but it was their, it was their home. And uh, there were friends there, there were family members gathered there, and there was a dirt floor there, and we, we go into this space, and this man's wife is, is laying on a, a bed. We might refer to it as a cot, a smaller smaller bed, and so there was friends there, there were family there, and they were all concerned for this woman, and they had prepared us some chapati. Uh, chapati is like a, kind of looks like a tortilla, right? But it's, it's chewier, and it's sweeter, and it's better, and so they prepared some, some food for us, and they prepared some tea for us, and they gave me some tea, and I was really hoping they used our water filters to prepare this tea, but I wasn't sure, and I didn't know where the milk came from, and I probably didn't want to know where the milk came from, but I drank this tea, they were very, you know, excellent hosts, and they were speaking Swahili, and I didn't know what they were saying, you know, and so eventually I, I try to communicate with the woman and ask, you know, what's wrong, what are her symptoms, and there's enough people in that room that spoke English that we, we got the sense that she was in pain, and she had these aches, and she had this fever, and, and again, I'm thinking, well, well, what am I doing here? <laughs> I'm not a doctor, Right? As I mentioned earlier, I have no skills, no practical useful skills. I can't diagnose and I can't treat whatever's going on here. But I can pray. And that's what they asked for. I can pray because I believe in God. I believe in the power of prayer. I believe that Jesus told us to pray. It's, it's not because I'm a pastor. It's just because I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. And so that's what I can do. I can pray. And so we spent some time praying over that woman, and we prayed all kinds of things, and we thanked God for his provision, and we pleaded with God to, to send healing, and we pleaded for medicine if that was going to solve the problem, and we, we prayed for divine intervention, and I'm praying in English, and other people are praying in Swahili, and we just had this prayer time, and, and I don't know how long it lasted. Could have been five minutes, could have been 45 minutes, could have been an hour and a half. I don't know. We were just in it, just praying. And that prayer time ended, and I realized, okay, I'm just doing what I can do. Am I a doctor? No. Can I treat an illness? No. But I can do what I can do. <laughs> and what I can do in that moment is I can pray. There's this passage in our bulletin. It is often referred to as the Great uh, Commission, perhaps the Great Command, not the greatest command, but the Great Commission. And this is an often taught or often referred to passage in Scripture. In fact, we probably look at this passage at least once a year here at Hope Community Church. And here is Jesus speaking final words of instructions to his followers, to his disciples. And the tricky thing about reading this passage in isolation is there's so much that has led up to this point in time. There's so much that's led us to this moment here. Jesus has spent three or three and a half years with this group of men, with these disciples. He's, he's shared his life with them. He has taught them how to take care of each other. He has taught them the gospel and who he is and what he was there to do. They've spent so much life together, day in and day out, 
together. And it leads us to this moment where he says to them, you're going to go into this world and you're going to make disciples. And so those were the disciples, the 12 disciples, and then Judas was gone. He had 11 disciples there. And they were there listening to these very important final instructions of Jesus. But they knew exactly what Jesus meant when he said, go and make disciples. They knew what it meant to make disciples because they had been made disciples by Jesus. And so there was this understanding, you're never going to graduate from being a disciple. You're going to continue to be a disciple, and you're going to be a disciple that makes more disciples of Jesus. Discipleship. How often have we talked about that in our church recently? It keeps coming up. Discipleship. Discipleship is a way of life. Discipleship is a lifestyle. It's not just, okay, I'm going to read the Bible, or I'm going to talk about Jesus, or I'm going to teach something. No, it's, it's a very involved discipleship is a lifestyle discipleship involves sharing the gospel communicating the gospel the gospel is this term that refers to what jesus has done for us the big thing that jesus has done for us that jesus entered into this world and he died on the cross for our sins and everyone who accepts what jesus has done everyone who accepts that jesus has taken our punishment we receive forgiveness of sins and we receive eternal life that's the gospel and so part of what it means to make a disciple is to communicate what Jesus has done. You need words, right? You need to say the message of what Jesus has done. And those words can be spoken in English or Swahili or with a Delco accent or whatever. Those words just need to be spoken at some point. What Jesus has done for us. What God has sacrificed for us. And so the communication of the gospel is essential. If you're going to make a disciple, you need to communicate the gospel. But we have to keep in mind that Jesus doesn't say, go into this world and make converts. No, it's more than that. More than just receiving the gospel. More than just communicating the gospel. We have been called to take care of one another. How many different ways does Jesus say it? Love one another. Treat other people the way that you would want to be treated if you were displaced if you needed something fixed, if you needed money, if you needed food, how would you want to be taken care of? Love other people. Care for other people. Take care of the poor. Whatever you do for the least of these, you've done for me, Jesus says. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When people are hungry, go feed them. When they're thirsty, give them something to drink. When I was in prison, you went and you visited me, is what Jesus says. This is what we do for the least of these, for people who are struggling. You cannot make disciples without serving and helping and loving people. It's part of the package of discipleship and disciple-making. Jesus says, go, take care of people. Tell them about me. Tell them who I am and what I've accomplished for them. And you never graduate from that process. And so those original disciples, they went out and they made more disciples. They taught them. They spoke the words. They communicated who Jesus is and what he's accomplished. They served them. They cared for them. They looked out for one another. And then that next generation made disciples of the next generation and so on and so forth. And the way that we have the gospel now, the way that we know the gospel now, is through generational discipleship. It's not through an institution. It's through generational discipleship, one after the other after the other, loving, caring, communicating, speaking the words of the gospel, incarnating the truth of the gospel. This is disciple-making. We have so many needs in this world. Goodness gracious. So many people that are in need right here in our own community. And I need to tell you something. There are so many needs that you can't meet. Things that are bigger than you, 
things that you don't have the skill set to take care of. I mean, if you've got a neighbor and their plumbing burst and you don't know how to fix that, then it's like, I can call a plumber for you, but you can't meet that need. There's so many needs in this world that you can't meet, and it it can become overwhelming. But I believe what Jesus is calling us to do is what we can do. And so instead of being overwhelmed by all the needs in this world that we can't take care of or all the problems that we can't fix, let's focus on what we can do to be a part of this loving and serving and disciple-making process. What is it that we can do? You know, a lot of times we make excuses. We all do, right? We say, well, there's this thing that I could do to serve people, or there's this ministry, or this way, but I just, I can't. Here's, here's what's up. There's a difference between I can't and I don't want to, okay? And let's just be honest with ourselves. You don't have to lie to anybody. You don't have to lie to me. It's like, it's, it's like you know, I, I could do it, but I don't feel like it. Just be honest with yourself, right? Because the question you really have for yourself is, well, what can I do? Not what, what can't I do, but what can I do for Jesus, He died on the cross for your sins and my sins. And you will never be able to earn salvation. You'll never be able to pay him back for what he's done for you. And there is a sense of peace in that. Because our lives of serving and giving and doing, it has nothing to do with earning anything. It's about obedience to what Jesus has called us to do and what he has called us to be. And so don't focus on what you can't do. Focus on what you can do. Do what you can do to exercise obedience to Jesus and to help others who are in need. We have four people from Hope Community Church, four among us, who are getting on a plane and going halfway around the world to Kenya. They are making a tremendous sacrifice. It is a time sacrifice. It is a financial sacrifice. It is a time away from family sacrifice. And they are doing this because they can. And I'm going to talk to four people right now. Everybody else can zone out. I want to talk to Kathy, to Brooke, Karen, Charlotte. You are examples to the rest of us of what it looks like to exercise obedience, to do what Jesus has commanded us all to do and to help people as you are able to help them. And we applaud you. In fact, let's applaud you now. We applaud you for what you have done. And I know that you're humble in spirit, and I know that you didn't want that, and this isn't about you, but it's about Jesus. They are an example to the rest of us of what it looks like to do what can be done, to do what we can do to serve Jesus, and they're about to get on a plane later this week and travel for, it's about a day of travel, yes? And that's a lot of fun. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's the worst. It's the absolute worst. But you're doing this. Don't miss out on what they're doing. Don't miss out on the sacrifice. You know, so many of us Christians, we hear about the sacrifices that other people make, and we say, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, it is awesome, isn't it? It's awesome when other people are doing it. But we're all called upon to make a sacrifice 
so we can serve other people, so we can help other people, so we can live out this lifestyle of discipleship. You cannot be a disciple without sacrifice. It's part of it. It's part of the deal. And so let me ask you a question, and this, there's no malice in this question. There's no accusation in this question. This is just a question for your personal contemplation. My question is, what are you doing for Jesus? What are you doing for Jesus? What are you doing? For, you know who I'm talking about, Jesus? Died on the cross for your sins? Gave you heaven? The gift of eternal life? What are you doing for Jesus? And it's not about earning anything from him. It's not about trying to earn his love. He already loves you. No, 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 it's not about that. But what are you doing for Jesus? How are you serving? How are you giving? How are you loving? How are you participating in a lifestyle of discipleship. You know, here in this country and probably around the world, um, we've suffered this real hit during the pandemic time. And there were so many Christians, so many disciples of Jesus that were active and serving in different ways. And then the pandemic rolls around and, and some people were just prohibited from doing what they normally do for Jesus. Serving, giving, loving, sharing. Things were just shut down. And for too many of us Christians, we just haven't come back online fully yet. And we need to. So let me ask you, what are you doing for Jesus? How are you serving? How are you giving? You're, Jesus doesn't say you need to go out and solve every single problem in this world. No. But what is the need that you can meet? We have these phrases that we use here at Hope Community Church. Meeting the needs we're able to meet, that's one of them. How are you serving? How are you giving? It's part of what we're called to be. It's, it's, it's essential. We have to give back. We have to serve. We have to, to give. And maybe Kenya's not for you. I mean, a while back we heard from Bill Coble himself, and he stood up on this stage area, and he said, it's not all about Kenya. I mean, Kenya's one place where there's a need. But I'm sure there are needs in your own neighborhood, in your own block, maybe even in your own household. So what can, what can you do to serve Jesus? If you're not a follower of Jesus, again, let me just tell you straight up, you're off the hook on this one. You're off the hook. It's not for you. <laughs> it's for us. In fact, sometimes people on the outside of Christianity looking in, that's their promise. Well, they talk about Jesus and they talk about love, but what are they doing? Valid observation. What are we doing? If we want to be disciples, then we have to engage in this work of loving and serving and giving and doing and ask ourselves the question, what is it that we can do for Jesus and for our community? When Jesus says, go into this world and make disciples, it's not a suggestion. It's not an idea. It's a command. Jesus doesn't say, hey, um, if it's not too much trouble, and if it's convenient for you, and if you can find time in your schedule, could you please maybe try to go into the world and maybe try to make some disciples? And if it's too much to ask, I totally understand. <laughs> no, no, no. That's not who Jesus is. No. Just go into this world and make disciples. And that is exactly the work that we need to do, the work of making disciples. I'm going to ask our team to stand up, Kathy and Brooke and Karen, Charlotte, don't be shy. You're among friends. I'm going to ask our missionaries to stand up. And the reason I've asked them to stand is because we're going to pray for them. Uh, we're also going to ask the family members of our missionaries to stand. Spouses, brothers, sisters, if you would stand up at this time. It is a unique challenge to be a goer 
the one who goes on a mission trip. It is a unique challenge to be a sender, the one who sends. And some of you have experienced both ends of that. You know what it is to be a goer. You know what it is to be a sender. And so we are going to pray for our four missionaries, but we're also going to pray for their families as well. Not just today, not just throughout this week, but through their whole mission trip. That's what we're going to do. Please remain standing, and I'm going to ask for all of you who have been to Kenya before, please stand up. Don't be shy. Please stand up. You're in a safe spot. I'm asking you to stand up. Jack, you can sit. It's okay. I don't want to upset the baby there, right? (laughs) I'm asking you all to stand up because those of us who have been to Kenya, we know. We know the the unique struggles of that. And so those of you who have been before but aren't going this year, I am asking you to please remember how tough it is, remember the challenges, and pray for our missionaries every day multiple times a day. We're not going this time around, but we are here and we can pray. And our commitment to you for is that we will pray. And now I'm going to ask everybody else in the congregation to please stand as you are able. If you are a Christian, I am asking you to pray for our missionaries. If you are a member of this church, I am asking you to pray for our missionaries. If you are not a, mission, uh, not a member of this church, I'm still asking you to pray for our missionaries. And if you're not even sure whether or not you're a Christian, I'm going to ask you, go ahead and pray for our missionaries anyway. And the four of you, I want you to look around this room because we are making a commitment to you in this moment. We will pray for you. You are not alone. Your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is with you as he promised, and our prayers are being lifted up for you. Let's join now together in prayer. Father, first and foremost, we thank you for you, for the sacrifice that you have made on our behalf, for sending your one and only Son into this world for us, to die on the cross for us, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And Jesus, you have commanded us to enter into this lifestyle of discipleship, a lifestyle of serving and loving and giving and communicating the truth and teaching people to obey everything that you taught us. And so, Father God, we thank you for giving our lives this purpose, for giving each and every one of us a mission in this world right where we are. Father God, we lift up special prayers for our missionaries. We pray for Kathy and Brooke and Karen Charlotte. We pray for the whole team from Pennsylvania going to Kenya. We pray that you would keep your promise. You promised that you would be with us. You promised that you would not abandon us. You promised that as we exercise discipleship, as we go into this world, that you would be with us. And we find such comfort in those words, Jesus. So keep your promise and be with those four as they travel halfway around the world to serve you, to exercise obedience to you, and to do what they can do. Father God, for the rest of us, I pray that you would keep us mindful of the members of our church family who have made this sacrifice and keep us praying for them throughout the next several days and several weeks here. And Father God, for those of us who are not going on this trip, I pray that you would challenge us, that you would guide us, that you would lead us, that you would show us what it is that we can do for you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.